Coming in in five, four, three, two, one. Hey guys, welcome back to CGM Lounge. This is episode two. We have a, a really informative episode for you guys tonight on the podcast. We got a special friend of ours, our business partner, and a great ally. We'll, we'll talk about that word in a second, but I'd love to introduce Race Rollins. How you doing, Race? I'm doing very well. Excited to be here and talk about my favorite topics, which are money. And <laughs> Everybody's favorite topic is money, especially business. So, Race, you partnered with us for a long time. It feels like 20 years, probably closer to five, but... Mm-hmm. Ray, so for those that don't know, Race is a professor. He's also an accountant. He's been doing accounting for more than a decade. Um, so tell us how you got into accounting and you know what the accounting firm is called and, and how you've kind of productized your services a little bit. 100%. When I went into uh, college, I wanted to be uh, an attorney. Um, so I initially <laughs> majored in legal studies. I had read at the time every John Grisham book, and it was just my jam. So I just wanted to be that high-powered attorney. Um, but when I went into college, they make you, thank God, they make you take a whole smorgasbord of, of classes and stuff. And I remember sitting in on Professor Wirtz's class in Temple University, and it was like a huge lecture hall. It was probably about 120 students in there. And people were just like freaking out about accounting. They were just like, what is going on? Um, but it just like clicked. It just like everything made sense to me. And I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And like every business needs this. So I quickly changed and it was one of the best decisions. And I still thank Professor Wurst to this day for, um, you know, making accounting cool to me. Awesome. And so we started, you started your accounting firm. And what, what, what does it specialize in and how do you differentiate like your accounting services from like the basic just bookkeeping and retroactive like storytelling? Yeah, so I'm very uh, entrepreneurial, and when I went into the accounting profession, they have a series of certifications that you can get that ultimately culminate in you having your CPA license. Now, there are four tests, um, and then after you take those four tests, you have to do something called audit hours. So audit hours is where you basically are the apprentice under a bigger accounting firm and you know just giving you experience. Me, I'm such an entrepreneur that just the fact of doing those audit, audit hours were just very, very difficult for me uh, because I just wanted to get into the business. So I took the exams but never finished my audit hours and immediately started my company, which, is, which is, has evolved over time and changed in target audience and markets. But as of today, it's called Financial GPS, and it's a virtual bookkeeping company that uses explainer videos to help entrepreneurs understand their numbers and grow their business faster. Excellent. So this is exactly what we're going to talk about today. Financial GPS. And because it's the beginning of the year, it's tax time. Everybody's like, yo, how can I leverage taxes? And how can I, I want to get my return. And if you're a brand new business, what does this tax structure mean for me if I'm an LLC or a C Corp? So this is probably going to be a two-parter. Today, we're going to talk about strictly the LLCs and what you guys got to do um, during this time of year, like the due dates, what you should be looking for, how you can expense certain things, what you can do to write off. So it's going to be a ton of, ton of information today. So I want you guys to hold tight, hold on to your seatbelts, and we're going to dive right in. So first things first, it's January 2019. It's a brand new year. It's time for everybody to take what they did in 2018, go to their accountant, and 
do what? Like, what are we trying to do right now? If I'm a brand new business that just started in 2018, what should I have done in 18? And what am I, if I didn't do that, where am I at right now in January 2019? I mean, at the most fundamental basic sense, I think for, a, for entrepreneurs, you got to understand that accounting is basically the language of business. And so your job, first and foremost, is to make sure that you record all the money that's coming in and all the money that's going out. That's basically table stakes, right? And then what you want to do is once you have that documentation, that's bookkeeping, um, you can sit down with a tax professional and sort of strategize on how to save money. And there are a host of things that you can do, a lot of which we'll get in today. But the first thing you'll want to do is to close out your 2018 books um, and just make sure that you have all the all this stuff there. What a lot of times is happening, though, is that entrepreneurs aren't that diligent when it comes to doing accounting. So you wait until the end of the year um, to sort of gather everything together, but you're already behind the eight ball because you should have, you're being retroactive, right? You're not being proactive. And what you want to do is have the accounting done on a routine basis so that you're always in tax planning mode throughout 2018 or throughout the calendar year. Mm -hmm. So that's like the first big thing is to get a bookkeeping system. We offer bookkeeping, but you can also go to bench.co. You can do bookkeeping yourself. But at a fundamental level, you want to have all of your records in the QuickBooks system or in the FreshBooks or something of that nature so that you can plan throughout during the year. Absolutely. So when you get into the new calendar year, which we are now, January 16th, 17th today, Mm -hmm. 2019, you have all that stuff already prepared, already ready to be su- to submit. Maybe it's already been submitted quarterly on your behalf from your accountant. And so now you're going into this year thinking about, okay, cool, here's the big submission to the IRS, which is due by March 15th. And so if you have an LLC, you're going to be filling out, what, a Schedule C if you're an individual? Mm-hmm. So tell us about the Schedule C. What does that mean for an individual member of an LLC? 100%. So a lot of times what happens is you start a new business and you're going to start that business as a sole proprietor. Right now, a sole proprietor has very little protection against claims and things of that nature. So the best practice is to go file an LLC. Now, LLC stands for Limited Liability Company. However, from the perspective of the IRS, the LLC and the individual are not different. That's why when you fill out your 1040, a Schedule C just goes right with that same package. So there's no tax advantages per se of just being an LLC. So an LLC gives you liability protection, like if somebody slips and falls, they can only sue the LLC. But for taxes, it doesn't give you a lot of protection or a lot of ability to save money. Mm-hmm. All right, now in order to save money, what the best practice is is to take your LLC and to file a form to get your escort. Mm-hmm. Now you probably do and fill out more escorts <laughs> than anybody I know. Right. Um, but you know the thing is that's a subchapter corporation. So yeah, S corps S go into that more, you know, tax strategy part. But so as we're as I'm, if I'm a sole individual and I have my LLC, uh, what can I do on the when they say like write offs? What does that mean on the write off side? And when I'm when I'm filing what I made and what I spent, like what does that look like on my Schedule C? Yeah, so I mean the LLC is not the best sort of tax strategy, but there are a host of things that you can do in order to lower your tax burden. Uh, One thing I always recommend that people do um, is to get a payroll system in place early and put yourself on payroll that you're making these 
these payments to the IRS on a periodic basis. And then you might want to do something, for example, after your business has, has been around for a little bit, set up something like a, a simple IRA. Mm. So a simple IRA is a, is a tax vehicle where you can do a retirement plan where you can uh, tuck away up to $13,000 mm. uh, for the employees of your business and just lower your tax income that way. What you just alluded to were just some of the write-offs. So you can be very liberal with your write-offs on the Schedule C. Maybe throw in your cell phone bill. Uh, maybe you know you can have a home office um, and you can write off a portion of all of your household expenses and things mm-hmm. of that nature. If you're um, working from home? If you're working from home. And in, in every LLC, of course, you should have a home office. Like yeah. it's, just, it's just one of those things that you should definitely do. Sure. Even if you don't necessarily work, work from home. much from home, yeah. you need the home office. It's, a, it's just only prudent, right? I think that's, uh, those write-offs uh, can be very, very lucrative in terms of the savings. But the key is just to be a good bookkeeper at large. Mm-hmm. Because if you have the books and you can look at your books and you can sort of uh, strategize from there on what sort of, uh, write-offs that make sense for your business. Absolutely. And so the thing that I think people really don't realize is like tax law changes all the time, uh-huh. right? Every year, some of the news coming out either at the city, state, or federal level. And the past two years, we've seen like big sweeping changes from the presidential administration. You know, last year, um, they lowered the corporation tax rate, you know, from 35 to around like 21%, uh-huh. which was huge for a lot of people. This year, what are some things that they did this year that you noticed that really raised your eyebrow a bit? So two big things. Uh, the first one were the contributions to things like a 401k, HSA. So HSA is a healthcare savings account. Mm-hmm. And basically a healthcare savings account is, um, is, a, is a great vehicle for entrepreneurs to use because, <coughs> you know, of, of how it's structured. So you can go to this website called HSA Bank. And basically what you can say is, let's say I make $10,000. I can basically take $2,000 of that, put it into a HSA, Mm -hmm. and then any sort of medical expenses that I have, um, I can use that those HSA dollars to pay for my medical expenses or somebody in my family, like if you're married or have kids or or anything like that. But those contributions to a HSA are tax deductible, and the money that is sitting in that investment account, the money that that grows is tax deductible. And when you spend it, as long as you spend it on healthcare related stuff, mm-hmm. it's tax deductible. So it's known as like a triple crown investment. So mm-hmm. HSAs are really good for small businesses to implement uh, because even if you're young, um, you know, like us, you know, we're 30s. And so, you know, you're eventually going to get sick or have some sort of medical expenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to have that money sort of rolling over is a, a good thing. And they increase the HSA amount to, I believe, 65 a year. So you get to sort of put away 65 a year. Uh, you can fact check that, but it's somewhere in that neighborhood for 2019. Also, the they increase the amount that you can put away to your... Uh, other, you know, retirement accounts like your Roth IRA. Uh, last year was fifty five hundred. This year is six thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are all things that are very pro savings, very pro business. Mm-hmm. The biggest was clearly this uh, move called the Section one ninety nine A, and basically the Section one ninety nine A for qualified businesses uh, basically works like this. Let's say I'm a realtor mm-hmm. and I sort of had rental income coming, and I have rental income of 
forty thousand dollars. Basically, you get to take twenty percent of that forty thousand dollars, and that's an automatic straight write off. So basically, if I made forty thousand, the government's allowing you to take eight thousand. Just put that in your pocket. Like that just never happened. And then you just pay on the thirty-two. Time out, Reese. Let's slow it down for them a little bit because I don't think they caught that heat. That ninety-nine mile an hour fastball you threw down Mm -hmm. the pipe. You know they just looked at that John like it was Randy Johnson. So. LLCs, like you said before, the IRS is going to treat it as a pass-through. Yep. The money that you net at the end of the year from the company is going to slide over to your 1040. Yep. And you're going to be like, yeah, I got to pay this. But now, the, a new, the tax reform, this this new thing you're talking about, that, that 40000 if I'm a realtor, I get to just like pocket 20% of that. Pocket 20% of that is a straight-line deduction for qualified businesses. Um, and when I say qualified businesses, it's not for lawyers, accountants, and consultants. Basically, any sort of profession that leverages uh, thought knowledge contained by one person, it's not eligible for. But for manufacturing businesses, for restaurants, for you know most product-based companies, retail, it's just like a 20% deduction. Guys, that's a game changer. So let's just use that math that you did. So if I got the 40000 I can literally, you literally can automatically subtract 8000 from that net profit, and that's going to bring it down to 32000 which is what's going to be now taxed. be taxed. Right. Now, so, that's going to be taxed after your other deductions that you might have. So, I mean, that's, it's, it's a really substantial <laughs> uh, benefit to, to have. And, I, I mean, if we're talking about the difference. So, at the federal level, you might be, you know, let's just use these numbers at the federal level that in the old days you might have been paying at that 21, 22% on that 40, which would have been the eight, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you subtract that eight, now you're doing that on the 32. Let's say you don't have any other write-offs. You know, you're saving a couple grand just right there. Yeah, about two and a half. Two and a half, you know what I mean? So you guys, every year, A, throughout the year, be prudent, keep the books tight, try to uh, control everything that you're spending so you can then write it off so you know what's going on. B, if you're trying to be more elaborate with the taxes, try to do the S-Corp, you know, get in with your accountant or anybody that knows how to file that 2553. And and if you're asking people, they do formations, a good way to know if they actually do formations is to ask them what a 2553 is. If they don't know, then you probably shouldn't use them. Um, and then the third is, you know, this new tax reform. Now, you guys, if you're just an LLC, whether you're a partnership or a sole member, you do what's the what's the new I guess what's the what's it called section one one ninety nine A so section one ninety nine A Google it you can look at some stuff on YouTube but I mean just to follow up with what you were saying I think I always subscribe to this this quote which was that wisdom is found in a multitude of counselors mm-hmm. so it's just like put yourself in the habit of just always asking professionals about different things so I always run things by attorneys if I'm going to sign a lease. You know, obviously, I don't want to have to necessarily pay an attorney a uh, hundred bucks or hundred and fifty bucks to look over the lease, but I might invest and just make sure that two or three attorneys look over it just to cover because that one thing that I don't know can cost me so much money when you're making decisions. So because I look at taxes every single day, um, you guys obviously know if you interact with me, I'm very very willing to share information and give the game away for free. Uh, but you should have like a race Rollins and another accountant so that 
in the wisdom of multitude of counselors, you're just always in the habit of bouncing things off other people. And that's very, very keen because that's how you get better, right? And so not one person is going to know everything and not one person is going to know the entirety of all things. Yeah. So you might be really, 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 really adept at bookkeeping, but maybe they don't do taxes. They're not up to date with like tax reform and things like that. So some accountants only look at retroactive things and do your tax at the end of the year, like an H&R block type situation where you have a guy like Grace that's working both managerially trying to help you make business decisions, but also has to stay abreast on what's going on with tax reform and things of that nature. So you guys, I know it sounds good to be like, oh, I can do all this stuff by myself. That's not the point. The point, you don't get awards for making mistakes yourself. You don't get awards for trying to learn everything. What you do, what you are able to do is um, stand on the shoulders of giants. So that knowledge that race has accumulated over the last 10 to 12 years of doing accounting for large corporations, startups, people in different industries, and now you get to share that chip. You get to share that bit of wisdom. Um, so definitely ask and email people and, and, and inquire. Like it's not, it doesn't hurt to inquire. We have a lot of pride in our community sometimes yeah. on, on a lot of things that aren't necessarily so we'll spend money on things that don't net us any asset or things that don't net us any capital gain but we'll we'll try to short ourselves when like you said when it comes to like information share yeah i mean information is so valuable i mean always just be in the habit of continuous learning uh because you know the smallest things big doors swing on very small hinges like so it's like the smallest things can really you know, change your trajectory of mm -hmm. your business and, and, you know, just section 199A, you know, if you're doing your own taxes, how easy it, if you're just on TurboTax trying to get it out because you don't want to pay an accountant $200 that you just go with one section, one section 199A, I don't need that because I did my taxes last year, skip over it and you leave $2,000 on the table. <laughs> you leave 20% of what you could have wrote off on the table. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of money, especially for you guys that are doing real estate. Uh, for you guys that are in construction, right, GCs, anybody that's, you're, you have a lot of money coming in, a lot of capital without a lot of expenses to write off, it's going to be very, very, <laughs> very, very prudent for you guys to be adept at learning what you can do every year because it changes all the time. You know, anything written down, as soon as that period gets put on that paper, it's already obsolete. So if you're reading something from last year about taxes and how to do it, it's already too old, it's too late. So 2019, things have already changed, and we're only two weeks into the year. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about your perspective on like partnerships, how do, how do the taxes work on the partnership scale? Like, all right, so I'm in the LLC with two other guys. There's three of us. What am I looking to do then? So, I mean, in, in the partnership scenario, the cool thing about an LLC is its flexibility. And you can choose for your LLC to be taxed as a partnership or it can be taxed as a corporation. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the nuances there is that you get to do it based on membership interests. So if I own an LLC and we're 50-50s partners, we can sort of have two what is called K-1s that sort of flow to us. And then we, we take those K-1s and then we pay our, our respective uh, tax share. So mm -hmm. the thing about uh, members and you want to have a sort of ironclad um, operating agreement, right? Mm -hmm. That really spells out, you know, who is responsible uh, for the distribution of profits. Like, do we split profits 50-50, mm -hmm. but we split 
um, you know, losses 60-40, or you want to spell all that out in the operating agreement. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, that's how that gets taxed. And you get a K-1, each partner, and they go do their own taxes from there. The thing about the LLC, though, is that it's this big, ugly tax called the self-employment tax. Mm-hmm. And basically, when you have an LLC, uh, you have to pay in self-employment tax, which is one of the ways that the government funds Social Security and Medicare. And it's mm-hmm. about 8%. So, for example, if I make about uh, $10,000 in mm-hmm. my LLC, uh, basically, right off the back, about $800 uh, has to go towards a self-employment tax, mm-hmm. and that gets doubled. So that's going to be $800 times two, and that's going to be 1600 Then I have to pay on that same $10,000 income taxes. Mm-hmm. So it gets very, very expensive with an LLC. That's why I always tell people, get an escort. You know, reach out to guys like Dom, you know, file that 2553 form to make your S-Corp election. And basically what that does is that allows you to separate your income into sort of two buckets, Mm -hmm. one which is earned income and the other is passive income. And on passive income, you pay less taxes. Mm -hmm. There's no Social Security and Medicare tax on passive income. That is why from a tax percentage standpoint, wealthier people tend to pay less than working people is because passive income is taxed at a cheaper rate than earned income. Mm-hmm. So that's and you can't you can't make that differentiation in a traditional LLC. Is there is there like a, a plateau or is there like a, a line in the sand? So like if I'm if I'm just starting out this year with my LLC, do I automatically just jump in and do a twenty five fifty three to make that classification change? Or is there something that you've seen where you're like, okay, cool, just hold tight until here, and then you can make that jump? Because there are some responsibilities that they have to um, adhere to when they make that change. So is there is there a time, a, a good time to do it, or you just say, like, automatically to jump into that war? No, it definitely depends. And a lot of this stuff, I guess, you know, just to preface it, that this is not direct advice to anybody. We're just yeah. two guys talking in general about a host of possibilities mm-hmm. that may or may not be relevant to a given listener. Sure. Right? So you definitely want to take this, understand it, research it, and then you have your own circumstances where you need to filter everything through. For sure. But in general, I would say, uh, you know, right off the back is not necessarily the best idea to, to get the, uh, the S-Corp. You want to understand whether or not your business is going to be profitable. You want to understand whether or not it's something that's going to be viable. Mm-hmm. Um, your business model might change. You might bring in partners. It's just a whole lot of things. But I would say at the moment when your business starts to make money, mm-hmm. right? The moment when you've got payroll systems in place, mm-hmm. the moment when you're uh, thinking about uh, hiring people mm-hmm. and you're thinking about sort of growing the business, then the S-Corp is is a really good idea. It becomes more relevant to right. do the twenty five fifty three. Right. So guys, key points from that last segment are a yes, even though there are tax advantages in doing the twenty five fifty three, race and I both agree that there is a certain level your business should get to before you make that decision. Yep. And so I typically tell people around about number on the net that they're gonna be pulling in where it's gonna make that difference. And I know you have you set some other barometers like are you sticking with this business plan? Are you going to go with this model? Are you hiring people? What are some other things that are affecting your business? And you'll know because you'll feel that hit. I think that section 199A, mm-hmm. 
you know, kind of helps a little bit now because before you would have got taxed on all of that money. So now you guys get to still write off like 20% of what you net. So it does give you a bit of a little bit more of a cushion than you would have had in the past. So going into the last segment, because I know, you know, a little bit pressed for time, I guess given what you've seen, you know, what are some, what are some tips for, for example, uh, uh, in real estate, so let's say you got a real estate client, mm-hmm. what are some tips that they can do to to kind of manage their tax burden throughout the year? Like, what are some some good good habits they should have? Uh, good habits for real estate. I mean, the key the key obviously to uh, real estate is understanding. Um, number one is you make money in real estate when you buy it, essentially. So you make money on the purchase, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so real estate has sort of two ways where you sort of gain. You gain on the appreciation of the asset where, you know, I bought a house for $100,000 and that house sort of appreciates to, you know, a year or two years to one fifty. That's money on the appreciation. And then you also from the cash flow, mm-hmm. right? So one of the best rules when you're renting out real estate is the 1% rule. And so the 1% rule basically says if I own a house for $100,000, mm-hmm. typically speaking, that should be able to generate at least 1% of $100,000 in monthly rent. So that should bring in about $1,000 a month, 12000 a year, and that's all like a 12% return on my asset right there. Right, right. So I think uh, that's number one. Uh, number two is just the depreciation. Depreciation is a phantom expense, basically, that you just get the write-off. And depreciation is one of the best reasons why real estate is a beautiful investment. So... Mm-hmm. I think uh, that's number two. So you make money on the purchase of it, right? You also have to make sure that it cash flows really well. I use the 1% rule, and that's what I advise my clients to do. Uh, number two, you want to really have your depreciation schedules uh, down, and your accountant can sit with you with that. Well, for your typical you know, residential real estate that you're renting out, it's like a 25-year uh, depreciation schedule. So, um, for example... Basically, you could, you know, write off if I if that same hundred thousand dollar house about four thousand dollars, um, just in depreciation. Also, it's all of your interest that you're paying, um, you know, is is tax deductible. You know, I I am of the sort of more conservative route where I don't look at debt as a tool. Mm-hmm. I look at debt as a threat. So I'm always trying to like pay off my debts and not necessarily play that like game of, oh, I'm going to take out more interest because I get to write the interest off. That's like letting the tail wag the dog a little bit. For sure. So I never want to, you never want to buy something for tax advantages. You want to make the best investment decisions and then consider the tax options, right? For sure. Uh, Versus, you know, a lot of people will just put themselves in debt um, and just get leverage and they don't just because they can write off the interest. So those are sort of some things that real estate people need to uh, keep in mind. Also is the ability to, again, keep good books. Mm -hmm. QuickBooks Online, it's $25 a month. You know, put your properties in there and you want to attract, account for all of your sales and all of your um, expenses by property. Perfect. And so the last thing, because you just ended on that, what are some of the advantages of isolating each property into different LLCs? Right. So that's one of the things you have to do um, is to isolate each property into different LLCs. And I always say, uh, you know, different LLCs 
in different bank accounts, right? So keeping which is books, a must. The different bank accounts is what makes them separate. Yeah, right. So keeping them keeping them separate. Number one, it gives you uh, liabilities uh, protection with the LLC. Mm. Uh, number two, what it does is that it keeps the tax basis clean on each project. Mm-hmm. So like, if I know that from project A. I have, for example, I invested $200,000 total, right? When I go to sell, if I were to ever sell um, Project A or Property A, Mm -hmm. that first $200,000 is a return of capital. And Mm -hmm. I can clearly articulate that to the government to say, listen, here are all my books. Here's when I fixed the roof. Here's when I invested in um, a new kitchen. And they're all pertaining to this property. Mm -hmm. And my books are so clean that it's it's not like all, you know, like a soup sandwich, just all like thrown together. Like every property has its own ledger. When I go to sell that property, let's say I sold it for $250,000, that 200000 goes back into my profit as a return of capital mm-hmm. um, because I'm, I'm paying off my tax basis versus not knowing. You know, you own a property for eight years and have never kept good books, have just made some investments here and there, but that could be a lot of money that you're, you're, you're not accounting for. Yeah. Yeah. And so... You know, guys, we talk about it a lot. A lot of people come in and they ask me, do I have to get an LLC to do this, to do that? You don't have to do anything, you know, necessarily. But there are, like you said, best practices in running these businesses. So the LLC, what that does, again, separates liability. But it also gives you a clean ledger to understand what taxes are happening, especially on property. If you've got property in different zip codes, there's different tax rates, different real estate, you know, taxes that are being uh, addressed to that. So as we look at growing portfolios, whether it be a business that's a salon or a clothing store or in real estate, you know, utilize the, the LLC formation as a way to divide liability, but also to understand what's making what and how much money is costing you to do certain things so that, so that it is clean and it's easy to articulate that to the Internal Revenue Service, your, your state or commonwealth then also your county or municipality that you pay taxes to. So all those three levels of government, they expect you to be reporting like what you're doing. So if it's all jarbled in because you have one LLC that's doing like four or five different business ventures, it's very difficult for you to articulate what's going on with what. And identify risk and problems. You might have a portfolio of properties <clears throat> and a couple properties might be sort of you know, carrying some bad investments. And if you don't have the books at a way, at a granular level, where you can actually see, okay, what's going on and where those pain points are, you're really not, you know, optimizing um, because it doesn't take a lot. It's just, a, it's just a discipline. It's just discipline. <laughs> and entrepreneurship, I think we can easily say entrepreneurship is a synonym for discipline. Like, yeah. if you're if you're well disciplined, you'll probably be a pretty good entrepreneur. If you're not, you'll see uh, you'll see it very tough for you to grow in your in your industry. So, so real quick, just uh, one more follow-up thing, because yeah. you mentioned just best practices. Obviously, everything that we're saying, you can also, you, your aunt, or you can find some guy that's doing it a different way. <laughs> yeah. But what we're talking about is best practices. One of my, uh, a good book that just literally came out maybe two or three weeks ago called Millionaire Mindset by Chris Hogan. Mm-hmm. Basically, he interviewed 10,000 millionaires. Mm-hmm. Interviewed 10,000 everyday millionaires. It's the largest study on millionaires ever conducted in the United States. Um, and basically, um, most of those people do the same kind of things. Most millionaires just 
don't lease cars, right? <laughs> there are a few millionaires who lease cars, sure. but most of them don't. So just using that as just one example, when we say best practices, the best practice is that if you have real estate, each one needs to be in its own LLC. You need to keep separate books, separate bank accounts, and be totally granular so that you can understand what's going on. That's not to say that your cousin Vinny doesn't have a real estate portfolio. He might be killing it and all his stuff is mumbled, jumbled together. Mm -hmm. All I'm saying is that the best practice, right, wisdom, right, is on the side of uh, separate LLC per property. Yeah, absolutely. And so, guys, there's a million ways to do a lot of this stuff. What we try to do is give you the most efficient way. But again, like you said, there's probably going to be case studies that say, Hey, I know guys that do LLCs and they have three properties or they have up to a certain amount of equity in that LLC. So I always tell people it's your appetite for risk. So if you're risk averse like we are, then here's this way. And we, we consider that the best practice. Like Ray said, if you don't really care, then there's other ways to do it. But still, it's all about understanding what the worst case scenario could be. And then on the proactive side, you want to understand how do I communicate to a partner or how do I communicate to an investor what this business really means and if you can't do that because it's all tied together and there's like too many intricacies then you have to go back and retroactively trying to figure that stuff out so and best, it's gonna be a nightmare it's and then nightmare. I always say what, do, what does an LLC cost <laughs> what are we talking about we th- we're talking about $125,000 in PA for you to uh, protect an asset worth a hundred grand possibly uh, and give you limited liability for just swiping, slip and fall damages, lawsuits. Yeah. It's just not even. You're going you're gonna to pay more than that in the transfer tax. So, right. um, yeah. Race, man, as always, it's a super pleasure. This mm-hmm. has been episode two of CGM Lounge, the podcast. We also did a simultaneous live. Anything you want to do on the send off? Um, How can they find you on Instagram? How can they find you on online website? So, uh, website is uh, financialgps.co. Uh, my email is race, that's R-A-Y-C-E, at financialgps.co. Um, I am trying to keep zero inboxes, so any tax questions or not, they'll just shoot them to me. I will get right on it. That's it. Perfect. And then race Adam on, um, so no, no, on uh, Instagram. Instagram, race Rollins. Race Rollins yeah, and race financial Rollins. GPS? Financial GPS. Perfect. Guys, so tune in to him on Instagram. A lot of great t- content on financial GPS on Instagram. And like he said, email him. He's, he responds really fast, very informative, always down to give free knowledge. Uh, you'll catch us again on part two because we can dive into a lot more stuff. Um, it's very intricate web of information when it comes to taxes and business. So part two, be on the lookout. And this was uh, CGM Lounge signing off. Ciao.